Good morning. May it please the court. My name is Thomas Wilhelmy. I'm appearing on behalf of Relator Guardian Energy, LLC. As the Chief Justice indicated, I would like to reserve 10 minutes for rebuttal. There are two overriding issues before the court this morning. The first is whether the tax court, in its order on remand from this court's decision in Guardian 1, which was issued in August of 2015, complied with the instructions and guidance of this court. The second issue is both procedural and jurisdictional in nature. This court has previously considered that issue as well and has denied Waseca County's motions to dismiss this appeal and instead stayed the appeal which Guardian has filed. I would add quickly that the standard on review is a question of uh, abuse of discretion. This court has made it perfectly clear in previous decisions, including Eden Prairie Mall too, that a tax court must execute a remand order according to its instructions and has no power to modify those instructions. In addition, I would add that the court specifically granted the tax court leave to open the record and introduce additional evidence. The tax court, uh, for, for whatever reason, decided not to do so. And as a result, the evidence and the evidentiary record and the expert appraisal testimony, which is before the court on this appeal, is exactly the same as the evidentiary record and expert appraisal testimony, which this court considered and, and reviewed and articulated in, this, in Guardian 1. Counsel, if I may, don't we first have to decide, though, whether or not this court has jurisdiction? It seems to me that's the, the threshold issue. And as to that question, our review, of course, is de novo. I'd be happy to go to that issue as, uh, first, Your Honor, Mr. Uh, Madam Justice. The issue that you refer to is a question of jurisdiction, which I refer to as the second question. The, there is a statutory deficiency. It is interesting to note that virtually everybody in the courtroom has recognized that the motion for amended, that the motion which Waseca County filed on October 13th of 2016, following on the tax court's order on remand, did not, did not constitute a motion for amended findings. First of all, Waseca County, they filed a, a notice of related appeal. That appeal would have been appropriate if, if Guardian's appeal hadn't been timely and properly filed. Second of all, in its order, staying entry of judgment, the tax court specifically described the decision, uh, I'm sorry, described the motion of, of Waseca County as a motion for correction of calculation errors. It does not describe it as a motion for many findings. Third, this court has twice denied Waseca County's motion to dismiss on the grounds that the appeal was properly filed and timely filed. So that the fact that this Council, issue remains isn't, is a isn't bit that perplexing. what they were effectively doing, though? Because it seems to me that motion was requesting that the tax court reassess various findings related to the valuation of, of your client's properties. And in their motion, they cite a number of, of statutes, uh, 6001, 52, and, and others. Um, but what they were seeking was an amendment, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, what they were seeking was an amendment um, to various findings that dealt with valuation. The issue, as I understand Your Honor's question, is that they did not comply with the rules for a motion for amended findings. Under uh, Chapter 27108, a motion for amended findings must be accompanied by a hearing within 30 days or a specific uh, finding that a hearing cannot be held and will be held. There was no request for a motion uh, for a hearing. There well, no counsel, hearing. I, I understand that. I know, I think uh, 
the response to that will be, well, your client could have requested a hearing and the tax court could have, could have ordered one. But, but I guess more fundamentally, why does that matter with respect to, to the jurisdiction of this court over the 2016 order that you are now attempting to appeal? At the end of the day, why does that matter? It really matters for, for a number of reasons. First of all, under Appellate Rule 108, any uh, issue that's not raised by a collateral motion such as this is, is, a, uh, is an issue as to which the, the uh, authority of the tax court is suspended. This court retained jurisdiction over issues regarding the determination of the measurement and calculation <coughs> me, of external obsolescence. The filing of a motion for correction of computational errors, which is what Waseca County filed, did not constitute a uh, motion for amended findings under the statute which creates the tax court. We must deal with the tax court as a, as a uh, creature who is created by statute and governed by statute. And Waseca County did not comply with the rule that, that to constitute its motion as a motion for amended findings. As a result, this court retained jurisdiction on the external obsolescence issue, which, has, which was the subject of the order on Council, remand. Let, let, let's assume for the sake of argument that we disagree with you, that we, we think they're here, because I think the, the, the bigger issue here is whether or not uh, the 2016 order of the tax court was a final and appealable order. And it seems to me on that point, when the tax court issued it, it was final, it was appealable. But as I read your brief, it seems to me that what you don't deal with or don't address, uh, at least directly, and so I'm hoping you can do that here today, is what the effect was of what happened after that. Because after that, after Waseca brought their motion for, for computational changes, um, the, the tax court stayed the proceedings. And that happened before your client filed its writ of certiorari. And that, that seems to me to be key. So help me with that. Certainly. The tax court stayed entry of judgment on October 13th. I'm sorry, on October uh, 31st. It, what's clear is that the, uh, the timing of the filing of a motion to appeal is 60 days from the entry of the order. The order states on its terms it's a final order. That started the clock ticking for Guardian. Nothing that the tax court did, staying entry of judgment, told the running of that clock. If Guardian had not filed an appeal, then the right to appeal on the merits of that case would have been uh, denied by, by application of 27108 and, two, and 27110. The rules require that a motion for amended findings comply with the timing of the hearing requirement, and that was not complied with. Because of that, we were put in this posture that the t this court had jurisdiction and the tax court only had jurisdiction over certain collateral issues related to the calculation of computational errors. This tax court did not take back the jurisdiction to re-decide the external obsolescence issue. That jurisdiction was retained by this court. This court has confirmed that two or three times. The, 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 it makes a big difference because it affects the proceedings going forward. The issue has, has to do with the application of the relationship between this court and trial courts across the state. When this court issues an order, as it did in Guardian 1, with specific remand instructions, is the tax court free to disregard this, those instructions? And in fact, to expressly disagree with those instructions and write a different order. And then when one party 
refiles a motion to argue certain computational issues, which had been addressed by this court in Guardian 1 and by the tax court. Does that somehow re regenerate a conveyance of jurisdictional authority in direct contradiction of Rule 108 of the Rules of Civil uh, of Appellate Procedure? Counsel, can you help me with, because when I think about um, entry of judgment, I liken it to uh, another civil proceeding. So, for example, a dissolution. And in a dissolution, there isn't anything that is actually final, even though you might have all of the details until that judgment has been entered. And, for example, if somebody were asking for um, a recomputation of spousal maintenance, that, that would put it back in the district court um, realm to actually address that before it would be an appealable order. So can you help me differentiate the two? Sure. This court specifically gave the tax court jurisdiction in this order dated December 28th of 2016 to resolve collateral issues unrelated to the issue on appeal. Any of those collateral issues, like the calculation of uh, computation errors with the Rule 6001 motion uh, to correct clerical errors, and, the, and the, this court confirmed that the tax court had the authority to do those. The arguments which Wasika County has made would totally make Rule 6001 irrelevant, and, and would have because every appeal, no matter how clerical, would result in a change in the findings of fact and the conclusions of law. The, 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 there is a difference, a very material difference, between a ruling on the issues of external obsolescence, which this court has specifically addressed with, with clear instructions, and the question of uh, correcting a calculation error. The law is quite clear that th this court has the jurisdiction to convey to the trial court the authority to, to issue Rule 6001 corrections, and that's what was at issue here. The, the fact that the tax court would take that and extend it is directly contrary to the indications what the tax court made when it, in fact, vacated the, the entry of judgment by characterizing the county's motion as a motion to correct calculation errors, not a motion for amended findings or for, for a new trial. The, the issues, therefore, are, are, are clearly governed by the rules of procedure. And the question is, is this court going to allow parties to decide by themselves, either the, the litigants themselves or the, the trial court, to change the rules of appellate procedure? Wasik, our guardian energy has endeavored with great care to comply with the rules and the timing and to proceed in the appropriate fashion. We have respected the judicial economies and time involved, and we've, re we've respected the progression of this case. The tax court received an order on remand. They had directions as to how to rewrite their decision to address the measurement of obsolescence. The tax court decided not to do that. The tax court decided to change the scope of their authority to determine whether there was external obsolescence or not. It is particularly confounding, given the observations by this court, that the uh, external obsolescence was clearly identified and with primary consideration to de declining profit margins to look at the decision of the tax court. Focusing on the first year, the expert for Wasika County opined to 45%. The expert for the Guardian opined to 33%. In his first decision, the tax court came to 16%. This court re reversed that and remanded back for further proceedings consistent with Guardian 1. In response, the tax court came but tell, to zero percent. Let, let me stop you. You know, as, as I look at Guardian 1, when we remanded back, the concern was that, for lack of a, excuse me, for lack of a better terminology, our concern was that the tax court didn't show its work, didn't sufficiently show its work. And we did not, uh, it seems to me, did not require that they adopt any particular 
methodology necessarily. Um, we noted that neither party was um, uh, uh, arguing that the tax court had incorrectly applied uh, uh, the analytical framework from from Eurofresh, but we didn't take a we didn't take a position on that. Uh, we assumed without deciding that that was the proper framework. But then, when we get to the end of the opinion, we simply say um, that. Um, that the tax court's evaluation of the ethanol plant was not reasonably supported by the record as a whole. So go back, show us your work. And it seems to me you're making more of that, those instructions. Well, I'm focusing on the phrase supported by the evidence in the record as a whole. And this court has clarified that that means to, that it would be based upon the expert appraisal testimony. The fundamental issue involved there is whether the tax court becomes a third expert witness in the case. Is the tax court free to look at whatever facts have been assembled? And to be clear, there were a number of facts assembled by both parties' experts. They brought to the court some 50 years' experience in the analysis and valuation of property, and they had detailed information. They had summaries of their analysis of that information, but most importantly, those summaries reconciled into numbers with hard edges. That was their opinion of what the, those facts meant. The tax court decided that they would take some of those facts, ignore the methods applied by the experts, ignore the calculations and reasoning of the experts, and come to a decision that it found was superior. There are several problems with that. The, the, a trial court judge should not be an independent expert in the case. The, and one of the problems that follows from that is, is that it violates the due process rights of the parties. In a, in a trial proceeding before the tax court, there are statutory procedures defining under Chapter 278 how a procedure is supposed to work. And Chapter 271 defines the creation of the tax court and how that court is supposed to operate. Counsel, I'm, I'm going to stop you because I, I fear, at least for my purposes, that we're, you're now into the merits. And I don't know that we've sufficiently resolved whether we have jurisdiction over this 2016 order to begin with. And I, and I point to, uh, my concern is this court issued at least three or separate orders in which we, and I'm summarizing now, in which we said we don't have authority to look at this until the tax court has ultimately resolved um, uh, the, the county's motion. And we continually stayed uh, the, the tax court proceedings. Um, so what, what do we do with that? What I do with that is to say that the, the court's decision, this court's decisions were based on, in response to the Wasikas County motions to, to dismiss the proceedings for exactly the reasons to which you're alluding. And my response to that is multiple. First of all, the, the county did not file a motion for amended findings under uh, Section 271.08. They did not comply. There was not a motion for amended findings. That is a, a very clear and specific uh, decision. Second of all, the, the, the issues on, on remand were not resolved. The issues in response to the county's motion for correction of calculation errors are limited to the issues in that motion, having to do with some, some calculation issues. Th those issues under Rule 108.01 Subdivision 2 of the Civil Appellate Rules only leave the tax court with jurisdiction to decide those specific collateral issues. It doesn't, the, the filing of the appeal in a timely fashion deprives the t tax court of jurisdiction to decide the external obsolescence issues. We think that the, the rules are quite specific and the timelines are quite specific and even the findings by the tax court 
that the county filed a motion for correction of calculation errors, even the, the actions of Wasika County to file notice of related appeal, all of which confirm that as of the fall of 2016, there, there was no issue regarding external obsolescence before this court. However, the, the tax court, after the appeal was recognized by this court, after Relator filed their brief outlining the issues with the decision of the tax court on remand in September of 2016, the tax court then took it upon itself to recharacterize the county's motion, in, whereas in October of 2016, that was a motion to correct calculation errors. In May of 2017, it was suddenly a motion for, for amended findings. Well, counsel, let me just read to you, though, from our December 2016 order, and, I, and it's language I know you're familiar with, but we say, therefore, we cannot resolve Guardian Energy's motion or determine whether the county has waived arguments on appeal or raised issues on appeal that are beyond the scope of the remand, which are some of the issues that you're alluding to, until the tax court resolves the post-trial motion that is still before it and the record is available to us. And then we conclude the order by saying, further proceedings in this appeal are stayed pending entry of final judgment by the tax court. And it seems to me that did not happen, final judgment by the tax court, until they enter this 2017 order. The, the, the order of the tax court was final, but judgment was, was stayed because of the filing of the motion for, for correction of calculation errors. <clears throat> that was a collateral motion. That was not a motion that stayed the jurisdiction of this court to address the primary issues of external obsolescence. We think that that's very strongly based in the decisions of, of this court, the statutes of the state of Minnesota, and the rules that, that apply before this court. Counsel, if you prevail, what's going to happen in this case? We are asking that this court review its own decision in Guardian 1 and provide instructions to the tax court as to what the, how, what the method of de determining external obsolescence is and what that what the range is or the calculation should be based upon the evidence in the record. And this goes back to my earlier point. The record has not changed. There's been no new evidence admitted. The expert testimony is totally unchanged. The issue, the order that we're appealing from is an order in which the tax court disregarded. You're appealing from the 2016 order. I'm sorry. Are you appealing from the 2016 order? Yes. So, so if you prevail then on the 2016 order, what, what do we do with the 2017 order from the tax court? I think you can find some comfort in the 2017 order that the tax court has acknowledged that its 2016 order did not comply with this court's instructions. However, the 2017 order does not comply either. The 2017 order does apply a method that was applied by the experts in Guardian 1. It does apply the method of looking at declining profit margins. That is appropriate. However, both experts looked at the trend from 2000 up until 2007 or 2008 and recognized what the profit margins were after the enactment of the federal uh, renewable fuel standards policies. Those had a great positive stimulative effect on the ethanol industry. Well, Council, it sounds like you would agree, at least as to the 2017 order, that the tax court did not apply Eurofresh there because they're, they're looking at declining profit margins, which is what you wanted all along. In fact, I think both parties had argued or from the inception of the case that at least that was a part of what you should be looking at, if not the main thing. So is that what they did? Or I guess how would you characterize what they did? We think the Eurofresh standard is not relevant to the resolution of this case. We think that both experts complied. We think that both experts defined a range of external obsolescence that is remarkably close 
Looking at the three years on average, the comparison of 35% and 33% and the third percent is remarkably similar. It's, it's something unheard of in an area which is, involves so much judgment and so much application of experience to facts. Well, I guess we would, that, that kind of goes back to the chief's question. So if, you, if, you, if we get to the merits, I mean, it seems to me that initially both of you, both parties, did not want or, or advocated for Eurofresh. Now, we ultimately said in Merck that that's the inappropriate standard, but you both were arguing for the application of the heightened Eurofresh standard. Um, and so if, we, so if we look at the... So help me with that. Help me. Your Honor, I'm not sure I would agree that we would, we're arguing for the heightened Eurofresh standards. Because the experts were, were very identical, we don't think the Eurofresh standard had a material impact on the resolution of the case based upon the evidence in the record taken as a whole and the expert appraisal testimony. I can tell you that going into trial, looking at the issues before the court and looking at the issues that required extensive evidence and testimony and things, Guardian would have been happy to accept either expert's estimate of external obsolescence. The, the, the numbers were close enough, it didn't really matter because the, we would accept Mr. Dodd's analysis just as well as we would accept the, the, the Shenhan analysis. But you're, you're now saying, at least as I read your merits brief, that the court's application of Eurofresh was inappropriate. You the rail court, against it, in fact. In the order on remand in September of 2016, the court did something very different than what they did in the original decision, and we're focusing on a level of mathematical precision that this court stated is not and has never been the law in Minnesota. We think that the, that the issue is what did the experts agree to and, and what was the appropriate role of the court in interpreting the expert testimony in this case. We did not have a chance to cross-examine Mr. Riley, who wrote the articles that are relied upon in the order on remand. His articles were not in the evidence. He did not testify. He did not write an appraisal. The tax court took the, the, that literature from, from, uh, from the scholarly writings of that one individual and applied it without any evidentiary basis in this case. The key issue is the weighted average cost of capital. Nobody testified to the weighted average cost of capital. The tax court was forced to take a number which the Shenhan firm used as the yield rate in a five-year discounted income approach and, and assume that that was the weighted average cost of capital. That is not the same, but the tax court had no alternative because there was no testimony regarding the weighted average cost of capital that it could rely upon. That emphasizes the deficiencies in the tax court's decision and its failure to comply with this court's instructions to decide the case based upon the evidence of the record taken as a whole and the expert appraisal testimony. The uh, decision on, of May of 2017 is advisory, but the experts recognized that with the enactment of the Renewable Fuels Act in 2005, which was then strengthened in 2007, that the expectations regarding profitability increased and that is, in fact, why the subject property was built and other ethanol plants were built, because the expectation of profit was accelerated. Both experts looked at the trend from 2000 up until 2007, recognized that when the new laws were passed federally, that the expectations of profit margins increased to a, to a dollar a gallon, and, and recognized that that would be a reasonable forecast of what buyers would have expected when the decision was made to build the subject property. They then compared that to the actual number that was recognized in the operation of the facility. That number is different than what the tax court did in May of 2017. The tax court 
lowered the numbers by ignoring the experts. The experts both had very similar expectations of profit margins going forward, but the tax court diluted that by comparing it to numbers back in the early 2000s, which had very lower, lower expectations of profit margin. In fact, the subject property wouldn't have been built if the profit margins had remained at the levels they were at. The evidence in the record includes charts which demonstrate that the profit margins were very low in 2000, 2001, 2002, and it's with the enactment of the renewable fuels policies that, the, that suddenly the expectations get higher. That's what justified construction. But then what happened? The Great Depression. In addition, so you have fewer miles driven. You have the CAFE standards, corporate average fuel economy standards, requiring that cars have higher MPGs over time. So as a combination, and then you also had rising corn prices. The profit margin for an ethanol plant is based upon a number of factors, not just corn prices. But when all those factors combined, as they did just prior to January 2nd of 2009, 2010, and 2011, you are left with a situation where the, the profit expectation and the declining profit margins is substantially lower. The experts agreed that it's somewhere around 50%. The experts then applied their own expert, expertise and experience to come to numbers that were very similar at 45 and 35. I see that my time has expired. Thank you, Council. You have 10 minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Manderscheid. Good morning. May it please the court, I'm Mark Manderscheid, appearing here this morning on behalf of the County of Waseca. The county's position is that there is no final decision in a Chapter 278 property tax appeal until the tax court finally determines <clears throat> the market value of the property under appeal. Here, the tax court did not come up with a final decision until February of 2018. Thus, Guardian's appeal is premature, and what we are asking you to do is to dismiss uh, Guardian's writ, because at no time have you had the appellate authority, pursuant to statute, to review the substantive merits of the decision. Let me begin by just pointing out one sentence from your 2015, August 2015 decision. Uh, you said this twice, but in the second uh, sentence on page 267, you wrote, we vacate the tax court's value determinations for 2009, 2010, and 2011, and remand for further proceedings consistent with this opinion. Black's Law Dictionary, the 2014 edition states that vacate means to nullify or cancel, to make void, invalidate, as in the court vacated the judgment. So when we get to the time on remand, there is no valuation decision which is outstanding and valid at that point in time. So we go back to the tax court and we get to the tax court tax court issues a valuation decision on September 28th of 2016 and a couple weeks thereafter the county uh, brings a motion 
Now, in your 2015 decision, uh, this court said that it was Guardian that had brought a motion for amended findings following the tax court's first valuation decision. That is not accurate. It was the county that brought a motion for amended findings. So in order not to try and confuse the record any more than it subsequently has ended up being confused, I labeled the motion a uh, notice of motion and motion for correction of computational errors because that was really the gist of the argument was there is something wrong with the valuation calculations. Now, if we're going to look at the motion, and I certainly invite the court to do so, what we should start is with is what's the standard that this court is to apply in reviewing a post-trial or a post-decision motion? This court uh, set forth the standard in so Madsen. If the, if the county had not filed um, a motion after the 2016 order, was the 2016 order otherwise then a final, would it have been a final judgment then? Yes. So when are the merits ever going to get here? I mean, this case is almost as old as I am. <laughs> I mean, it's been going on for a long time. And, and imagine your clients and, and Mr. Wilhelmy's clients would like the case to be resolved. So when are the merits, if, if not now, when everybody's here, we've had all this briefing and argument and the case has been here and back again, when are we ever going to get to the merits? You won't. There was no appeal of the final decision on valuation. Since there was no appeal, there is nothing for this court to decide. So as well, if for- If we dismiss this case then, if we dismiss this appeal as you're asking us to do, the case is over. These three cases are over. Uh, in the interest of candor, uh, Guardian has filed five additional petitions which are on hold pursuant to tax court order until we get to a resolution here. But, uh, and the county considers this uh, unfortunate, but the position we are in is that Guardian filed a premature appeal. A premature appeal is of no effect. And then neither party filed an appeal in 2018 after the tax court finally concluded to a valuation number. Should we be concerned about some, I'm not suggesting there's any gamesmanship in this case, but should we be concerned in a future case about um, gamesmanship such as, so there's, a, there's an order from the tax court that appears to be a final order. An appeal is taken. After the appeal is taken, then the other side files a motion to amend or a motion for correction or something that delays the thing, that delays processing of the appeal. And then we end up in the situation where, where we are here, where there is effectively no appellate review of the final decision. Um, should that be of concern to us? As the county has put forth in several uh, of its briefs, uh, these proceedings have been extraordinarily expensive to Wasika County. Uh, Guardian has, I believe if I count right, uh, they came to this court initially to ask you to review the decision on the taxable real property. Uh, you declined to do that because we'd never gotten to valuation. Guardian filed this appeal Guardian then filed a motion in early December to try to dismiss the county's uh, notice of related appeal. 
you resolved, we thought, the issues in your order of December 28, notwithstanding this court's order that the uh, further proceedings were going to take place in the tax court, Guardian came back and filed a uh, motion requesting clarification of jurisdiction. The county then argued that that was in violation of an order. Um, and then we've ended up doing these other things. Uh, since you asked, this court has contributed mightily to some of the confusion here. When this court issued its order in 2015, it cited to four articles in its decision. None of those articles were a part of the trial record. And one of the difficulties the parties have all had in this case is trying to figure out what are we supposed to do with those four articles. This court cited to them. They, in effect, are opinion testimony for which there was no cross-examination. It was not something that either side's expert relied upon. And so what are we supposed to do when this court cites to uh, authorities and uses them, apparently, in coming to its conclusion and its ideas to what the methodologies are that ought to be used? Uh, I would certainly agree with a, a comment uh, that was made earlier the county took the position in its uh, submissions to Judge Turner that, Judge, the reason there was a reversal is because you spent the lion's share of your opinion criticizing the two sides' presentations and completely rejecting all of the expert appraisal testimony, and then you never explained how you came to your own formula to make a decision. That's in the county's briefs. So judge, in the next decision, spend a lot more time deciding how you came to a decision and parenthetically, maybe a little less time criticizing the cases that the lawyers presented. But the cases were done. We didn't come back to the record. And so, Your Honor, you asked, why is there so much here? And why is this extraordinarily frustrating to everybody involved? Because we're not gonna get to a clear indication of how these things ought to be valued. It's uh, in the record, and it's because of the items I just mentioned. But you all have to write a decision counsel, on this Counsel, case. though, I, I, and Chief, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Chief was asking a, a, a broader policy question, though, of concern about will we be in a situation, should we be concerned about situations where it looks like there is a final order, but then somebody comes back in some deliberate way and files a motion and suddenly now everything is on hold. I, I think she was asking a broader sort of policy question that, that, that we possibly should be concerned about. I don't know how to respond to a policy question in that nature here. Certainly from the county's perspective, we asked this court in December of 2016 to dismiss Guardian's appeal. This is the second time in this case that uh, Guardian filed an early appeal. So if you go back and look at the history on the 2015 decision, it was combining two cases, both of which had been filed by Guardian. And so uh, in the freedom sometimes given to advocates, uh, had this court granted the county's motion to dismiss because of a lack of jurisdiction in December of 2016, this case would have been over. The county renewed that position in uh, January of 2017, and the county brought a motion to dismiss in, I believe it was April 
of 2018. And so the question of whether you have jurisdiction is not coming before this court now for the first time. Counsel, though, in a, let's take it outside the tax court context for a minute. I mean, in a typical civil case, um, if you, 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 you have a, a judgment after a trial, and then there's an appeal taken, and, and then there's post, there are post-trial motions made, um, so then the appeal is stayed so we can resolve the post-trial motions, and then the district court resolves the post-trial motions, and then the whole thing is tied in a bow, and the stay and the appeal is lifted, and then the appellate court resolves the whole package, if you will. So why wouldn't we just do that here? The, the appeal was effectively stayed while the tax court resolved the post-trial motions. The tax court has now resolved the post-trial motions. Why not just go ahead and get to the merits and resolve the appeal on the merits now? Because the statute concerning appeals from the Minnesota tax court provide that there are only appeals from a final order. Had either party filed an appeal. But the tax court's order would have been final, but for the motion that your client filed. That's correct. And again, I'm not suggesting there was any bad faith or gamesmanship on the part of the county. It's just I do have the broader uh, policy-based concern that, that Justice Hudson articulated for me better than I was able to myself. It just feels a little almost unfair in a way. That, that the order would have been final and then subject to review on the merits, but for the motion that your client filed. That's correct. And the county brought the motion it did because the county believes that what this court has ordered the tax court to do is to come to the correct market valuation for a property. In this particular instance, judge, uh, the tax court judge uh, acknowledged in the September 28, 2016 order that the court had made a $2.3 million error for each of the two years. If you go back to the motion for amended findings that was filed after the first go-round, the county brought a post-trial motion then pointing out that there had been a calculation error. That calculation error ran in favor of the uh, uh, petitioner, uh, guardian representing a public entity, the public entity's goal is to try to get to market value. That's the number. We can't really try to, we can't try to go higher. We can't try to go lower. We're supposed to get to the right number. And that's what the county has tried to do here. But I suppose your broader point is the statute says what the statute says, and maybe that's unfair, but that's the way it goes. Uh, I didn't use those words, but certainly that gets us there. Mr. Mandershide, what, what's your view uh, maybe you've already articulated this. What is the, the, the final, the tax court's final 2017 order? You, you alluded, I think you used the word advisory, but, but again, I'm trying to also get at, let's say you prevail here. So that leaves in place the 2017 order where the tax court has made some deductions or calculations for obsolescence. They're higher than any of their previous orders, but not what Guardian would want, obviously. But so, but that's what that's what would prevail here, I presume. That would be that's the valuation number, right? The county's position is that the May 2017 order became a final order in February of 2018 when the court denied the county's post uh, decision 
motion then for uh, amended findings. That's what we're left with for those three years. The tax court went out of its way in the final paragraphs of its May 2017 order to tell the parties that everything we say in this decision has no precedential value and don't count on it for uh, when we're dealing with the uh, future cases. So we are left with exactly the situation, Chief, that you have identified all this time, all this money, and no guidance. If I may continue, you have to write a decision about what you have here today. And so in taking a look at the county's motion filed uh, in October of 2016, one of the questions is, is that a proper motion? The county suggests that the court review Madsen versus Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, 612 Northwest 2nd, 168. What the position there was is 3M came in and said, court, you ought to look at the merits to decide whether this is a proper post-decision motion or not. This court came back and said, no, we don't look at the merits. We look at only two things. We look at, was this motion filed in accordance with the rules of civil procedure? In other words, does it state a grounds? Does it ask for the relief sought? Was it properly filed and served? Was it signed? And then secondly, you look only at the face of the motion document. You don't look at anything else. You look at just the motion document and you ask the question from the face of the motion itself, is this the type of a motion which fits in with the requirements uh, to be a motion under 5202 or for relief under Rule 60. If the court then goes ahead and looks at the county's motion, uh, what the text of the county's motion says is that the county is seeking amendment of certain findings. The motion is brought pursuant to Civil Rule 60.01 and 52.02. Waseca County requests that the court amend its findings and conclusions to correct computational errors such that the tax court's order for judgment will accurately reflect the market value of the subject property for the years at issue. That is what the county asked for and the county would submit that the uh, issue of whether it was a proper post-decision motion can only be answered one way. Yes, it was. There has then been some discussion about, well, there are statutes and rules which talk about hearings following post-decision motions. And again, this court has already answered the question of how that is to be analyzed. In the case of Ruby versus Vanit, 714 Northwest 2nd 417, uh, that was a motion under Rule 59 but there is a footnote at the end of the decision which says the same thing applies to Rule 52 motions. And what the court said, we therefore conclude that the 60-day time limit for hearing a new trial slash amended findings motions is a procedural tool and does not divest the district court of jurisdiction. Continues on talking about how the rules, appellate uh, rules, require a motion timely motion. They don't say anything about a timely hearing. And so the logic, of course, is if neither side requests a hearing and either side could have and the court doesn't have a hearing, then what's the issue? In fact, there was a hearing when the court issued its order 
on whether the decision in Merck should have any bearing on valuation in this Guardian case. Uh, what the court uh, did then is the court, in its order for briefing issued in early January of 2017, it told the parties not only to talk about Merck, but to also address the county's motion for amended findings. So there actually was a hearing. The only question here is, was the hearing within the time limits? No one asked for it. Logic and common sense says that the parties ought to be able to dispense with a hearing if they so choose. Why waste uh, people's time coming to court for a motion the judge doesn't want to hear? And, uh, but in fact, there was a hearing, it took place, and your own rules say that the time limit for post-decision hearing motions is only a procedural rule, and it does not cut to the question of jurisdiction. So based on those uh, cases, based on the text of the motion, it is the county's position that the motion that was filed in October of 2016 was a proper Rule 60 and a proper Rule 5202 motion. That motion had the effect of staying the tax court's September 18, 2016 decision until the tax court issued a valuation decision. And again, that's what Chapter 278 cases are all about. The petition filed by Guardian challenged the assessed valuation. Having challenged the assessed valuation, then the case isn't over. If you will, the fat lady doesn't sing until the court comes to a final, 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 after all the motions are done, determination as to what the value is of the subject property that has been the part of the property tax petition. Counsel, if I may, just so I'm, I'm clear, and the result of your motion was the correction, this $2.1 mil, $2. million correction for two of the tax years. Is that right? That no. Was the that was not the result. The tax court denied the uh, county's uh, motion to correct its numbers, uh, arguing, as Guardian had requested that it do, that because the county had asked for the, this court to affirm the tax court's initial decision, errors and all, that the county had waived uh, any uh, uh, standing and any position to complain that the math was an error. Uh, the county argued before the tax court, but judge, no one could figure out the math because all of the court's calculations were only for the first year evaluation. There were no calculations provided to the parties for the second and third years of valuation. And so we didn't discover the math uh, errors. Uh, when did that correction errors. occur then? When did that correction occur? When did did the, it ever occur? No, the correction it, never occurred. It never has occurred. Okay. Tax court found a waiver. And so despite the tax court having made a mistake, uh, the tax court refused to correct its mistake. County is not happy about that one, but we didn't appeal the final decision, which included a part of that. Uh, one might think that both parties have simply been exhausted by the ongoing uh, procedures that, uh, uh, that have been going on here. Uh, rules 108 uh, apply uh, in uh, tax court matters. Rule 104 uh, applies uh, the uh, 
some of the later uh, sections, obviously, and, and this is the point I just want to clarify. Um, Rule 104 has several different subdivisions. Subdivision 1 talks about a time for appeal. And Guardian says in part of its briefing, well, Rule 104 doesn't apply to cases where there has been a writ issued. It only applies where there's been a notice of appeal. And the county would call out to the court, uh, again, your Menard decision, uh, it was a decision you issued in May of 2016, in which you found that a notice of related appeal was appropriate for the second party in a property tax appeal. And I would note that a notice of related appeal is one of the things that uh, is dealt with in subdivision four of rule 104. So while 104.01 subdivision one, time for appeal, no, you don't file a notice of appeal in tax court cases, you file a writ. What this court has said is once a writ presumably a proper writ, a writ that has the caption of the case, it has the names of the parties, it's timely done, it's signed by lawyers, a fee is filed. That, one would assume, is what a timely writ is, a proper writ. So once the writ is filed, then it is the court's rules that apply to the determination of proceeding with the rest of the case. And so the county would suggest that Rule 104, Subdivision 2, entitled Effect of Post-Decision Motions, identifies motions under Rule 52 or Rule 60. The county brought a motion under both of those. And under Subdivision 3, entitled Premature Appeal, provides a notice of appeal filed before the disposition of any of the above motions is premature and of no effect and does not divest the trial court of jurisdiction to dispose of the motion. A new notice of appeal must be filed within the time prescribed to appeal the underlying order or judgment. And again, as we've noted, there was no new notice of appeal filed in these cases. And so it is the county's position then that uh, what we have here, a chapter 278 petition exists to provide an adequate speedy and simple remedy to resolve property tax disputes. Look that up in Kmart Corporation versus County of Becker, 639 Northwest 2nd 856. These cases have been exceptions to that standard. The litigation has actually been ongoing now for eight years. Wasika County asked this court to dismiss the writ of certiorari, which we believe was uh, premature and of no effect. And that would get us to a point that the final decisions issued in May of 2017 and February of 2018 determine, finally, the value for the first three years of the appeals which have been filed by Guardian Energy. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Wilhelmy, you have 10 minutes for rebuttal. May it please the court, I'm concerned that my disagreements with my learned colleague will press the 10 minutes I've reserved. Let's start with the very beginning. 
the decisions which my learned colleague cites to you regarding the rules that he would like to have you imply are interlocutory orders. We are dealing with a final order in this case, and we urge the court to look at these carefully because they are not similar in terms of being final orders in any respect. Second of all, the issue of whether or not an order is a final order is one that does not go directly to the timing and requirements of to file an appeal. Uh, the Chief, Madam Chief Justice mentioned the issue of gamesmanship. The rules state that within 60 days after the making and filing of the order, or the, which in, the making and filing of an order on a motion for rehearing, which includes a motion for amended findings of fact. There was no motion for amended findings of fact. Uh, there, there was no final order after the, until this time. Guardian had the obligation to act when it filed its appeal in the fall of 2016 in compliance with the rules 271.10 and in compliance with 271.08. Those rules required the appeal to be filed, and it, it was a final order when the, issue was, when the order was issued. The fact that the judgment was vacated does not affect the timing under 271.10. We would refer the court, specifically where this issue was discussed in, in the case of uh, Scripps, where the court found that the timing decision is based upon the filing of the order and not based upon the uh, issue of a uh, subsequent vacation of judgment. Counsel, uh, what's the citation for that case? Uh, I, I have it right here. Just one moment, Your Honor. The, I'm sorry. The case is Express Scripts versus Commissioner of Revenue. We'd be happy to provide you with the exact citation uh, at a later time. I don't have that handy with me right now. We have people who can find it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the relevant date for the commencing of the 60 day, days under Rule 271.10 .10 is the date that the court issues its findings of fact, conclusions of law, and order for judgment, and not the date the order issues a, a, a notice of entry of order. The 60 days start on September 28th. Uh, the next point I'd like to get to. There was no waiver of the timing requirement under 271.08. I'm sorry, there, counsel, I didn't hear There was no what? There was no waiver. No waiver? Guardian did not waive it. If Waseca County did, that is not binding on Guardian. We would refer the court to the tax court rule, 8610.0110. That rule provides the only rule dealing with waivers of a hearing. And the rule provides if all parties to an appeal or petition by written stipulation waive the right to a public hearing, then the court can waive it. There was no written stipulation, and we would urge the court that the facts do not constitute any implied or imputed waiver by Guardian. This court issued its decision in Guardian 1. Did you have any obligation, counsel, to, to request a hearing if you wanted one, and, and did the tax court stop either party from requesting it? Or I'm just trying to figure out how that, how it played out. In this case, an or, a hearing would have been scheduled, but the county stated they did not want one when they filed the motion. It was the county's action. Did you have that, an obligation, or just, would just common sense suggest that you reply to that and say, "No, Your Honor, we but we do, we want one." It, it, Your Honor, it was not our motion. We did we did not want the motion to be filed or heard, and the motion was not in response to the order on remand, which which uh, the, the tax court had issued. This court 
issued its decision in Guardian 1. It remanded it back to the tax court to re-decide the measurement of external obsolescence. The motion which was filed, no matter what you say in terms of what rules we're relying upon, does not go to the issue of external obsolescence. That was not raised in the motion. It was therefore a collateral issue. And under Rule 108.1, paren 2, it, it is an issue that, with this court's permission, which was given, the tax court can decide a collateral judgment issue. This is a collateral motion that the county filed. It was not a motion for amended findings. It did not toll any time period. Uh, the, the county and this court were, were at a disconnect. This court had confirmed the calculation of replacement costs new as being reasonable. The issue of replacement costs new was not uh, transferred back to the tax court by the order on remand. And it did so because of the express waiver by the county in the proceedings leading up to the issuance of Guardian 1. To, to then try to back, back around and say, well, we, we want to amend the decision because we're changing a calculation number, that's not how the rules work. That's not how the progression of, of, of the rules work. The rules are necessary for, the, for the, this court to, to supervise the actions of trial court judges around the, country, around the state. And the, the parties are complying with the rules, or they should be at all times. I would emphasize the statute does not allow just any motion to, to change a final order to an unfinal order. 271.08 says that a motion for amended findings will do that, but only if you're a motion for amended findings. To be a motion for amended findings, you have to comply with 271.10. The rules are very specific as to what it constitutes, and when the rules say a must be heard, I take that and advise my clients that that's a requirement. It doesn't say might be heard or could be heard, or we could hear it maybe four or five months later in response to something else. That's not the way the rules apply to govern the disposition of this case. Uh, rule 6001 contemplates that there may be a and, and counsel, circumstances. Counsel, on the on the on the hearing part, um, I think he cited us to the Ruby case, and you're saying that that's inapplicable. Uh, I believe that my colleague cited you to the Ruby case, and I believe if you look at that, that that does not change the the interpretation that we're providing to you this morning. The Ruby case, we believe, is an interlocutory order. Okay. That, and that was the point. Okay. That was my point. Okay. The Rule 6001 does allow a collateral judgment to be made, which does make some amendments to the final order. The question is whether the motion which was filed was within the scope of the remand from this court to the tax court regarding the measurement of external obsolescence. There is nothing in the county's motion that has to do with the measurement of external obsolescence. It's totally a collateral issue. And for that reason, 6001 does not save them. The appeal was timely filed. There was an order issued. The appeal was filed in 60 days of the order. There was no motion for amended findings or motion for rehearing that complies with the statute which creates this the Minnesota Tax Court. And, uh, the fact that a collateral motion was filed to correct calculation errors and this court granted the tax court the authority to take care of those does not change uh, the consequences in this case. The tax court only had the authority to decide the collateral issues after the county's motion. It did not have the authority from this court to go back and revisit and reanalyze the external obsolescence. Even if the court uh, had 
uh, was willing to consider that, that the decision in May of 2017 does not comply with this court's order. And that's why the rules are important. By not, by not complying with the rules regarding the filing of, of, of the um, motion for amended findings and not triggering a hearing to focus these issues, the, the possibility of gamesmanship arises. And we think that that's something which this court is, is aware of and would certainly like to, to discourage. Um, the 6101 motions do not relate to externally obsolescence. They only relate to replacement costs new. And that Minnesota statute section 271.110 does not contemplate that a motion for amended findings, uh, I'm sorry, strike that, that a motion to correct clerical errors will toll the running of the time period under 271.10. The, if in fact, Guardian's motion in the fall of 2016 was premature, then one must ask, why did the county file a notice of related appeal? That notice of related appeal does confirm the propriety and timing of the original motion. The county was looking at the same rules that we were looking at. We had 60 Could days. Could just been a belt and suspenders thing? When people are unsure of the rules, they, they file something just to preserve it in case? The belt and suspenders Maybe a legitimate argument, but when the rule is quite specific, then what you do, what my practice anyway, is to file what's appropriate and then add a footnote to indicate that we reserve the right to object. If you look at the, what, uh, the filing which Guardian made to the tax court in response to the required briefing following this court's issuance of the Merck decision, that's exactly what we did. We responded to the tax court's direction. We issued a footnote saying that we're not waiving the issue, the, our right to appeal the question of whether external obsolescence is within the scope of the motions from uh, correction of clerical errors which the county has filed. We think that that's a very bright line standard for interpreting with the proceedings going on. Thank you, counsel. I see time's expired. Thank you. Thanks to both counsel for the help that you provided to the court in this case. This matter is submitted. We'll issue an opinion in due course. We're in recess.